Good evening, everybody. This story goes back about 80 years ago. I heard this from Mr. Bob Horwitz, who's in like 93 now. Uh, growing up in the Bronx, all the Jewish kids were playing basketball, and uh, they wanted to form a league of their own. So eventually, they divided it up into neighborhoods, and every neighborhood had their team. And it was great. There was a lot of excitement and anticipation. They were finally having their own league. Only problem was that his community was terrible. A bunch of scrawny, pale, yeshiva boys, and they would lose every year, never make it to the playoffs. So after going two or three years, when they were playing in the street, with all of their friends, non-Jews as well, there's this one kid, Izzy Valentine. And Izzy was incredible. He was like a young LeBron James. He had an outside shot, he could drive in, he could shoot a free throws, 90-something percentile. So they thought, you know what? Izzy kind of sounds like a Jewish name. It could be like Isaac Yitzchak. Valentine doesn't work that well, but we could just call him Izzy Schwartz. And they did, and they put him on their team. And that year, for the first time ever, they did incredible. They won almost every single game. They got to the playoffs. And they were doing great. They got to the finals. The way that Mr. Horowitz tells the story is that it was the last game. I don't know if it was best of five, best of seven. But the last game of the series, they're down by one point. Izzy has the ball with a few seconds left. Like any good ball player, drives to the hoop and gets fouled. So the first free throw to tie the game, holds the ball, big deep breath, swish, game is now tied. If he gets this next shot, they have the chance to win the game, to win the finals for the first time ever for their little neighborhood. Pressure's on, the crowd is going crazy, he takes the ball in his left hand, big deep breath, <laughs> and he begins to cross himself. At that point, the referee runs over, blows the whistle, game over. They were disqualified. True story. This is a Jewish league, and clearly this kid's not Jewish. We always had a hunch because he was that good. Disqualified. I think the moral, though, of the story is when you're trying to be somebody you're not, you could do it for a little bit, but uh, ultimately it catches up with you. We always try to fit in. We try to be part of the environment that we're in. We want to be accepted. We want to be invited into the, the inner circle of whatever my, my, uh, my genre is. As a society, we give lip service to, to being open and to being accepting, to being understanding, not looking at people in a judgmental way. But in reality, we're all very judgmental. And we all have this picture or image or definition of a person based on very superficial things. As individuals, we ourselves always have a struggle. We have this conflict of conformity. On one hand, I'm feeling pressured to be part of what everyone else is doing. And I also have a desire to be part of what they're doing. And on the other hand, I want to express my individuality. I want to be unique. I want to be seen for who I am. I don't want to just blend in with the crowd. 
So I'd like to address how the Torah views this conflict between conformity and individuality. And I think it plays out in a couple different areas in this week's Parsha. Towards the end of the Parsha we have the mitzvah of tzitzis. And the Cheskuni comes along and he says, you should know, Hashem didn't leave anything in the world without a mitzvah. And he goes on to give many different examples. You go out into the field, the plowing, the sowing, so much of what we do outside and the reaping. There's so many different mitzvahs tied to it. You want to eat something, there's shechita. Every animal, every aspect of, of, of my relationship with the world around me, with people, with the earth, with the animal kingdom, there are so many different mitzvahs that govern our behavior. So some people look at this, and they look at all of the mitzvahs that we have, and their reaction is, isn't that beautiful? So many opportunities for connection, and even small things, how to put on your shoes, and which one to tie first. It just, it, it's always a way of connecting, and people really appreciate it. Other people have potentially a very different view, which is, come on, you can't give me a little autonomy? Everything has to be legislated? How I wake up in the morning, what do I say the first thing when I get out of bed, having to wash my hands, even how I put on my shoes? Give me some freedom, give me some slack. So there are two very different views here, but I think it's a, it's a legitimate concern. If everything we're doing in life, every relationship, every interaction with the world around us, there's always a mitzvah of how, when, and why to do something, where does that leave me? Where does that leave my own identity? Where do I fit in with that? We actually have a directive to try to blend in. And there's a Gemara in Derech Eretz Zuta that says, if you're amongst people who are laughing, you should laugh along with them. And if they're crying, you should be crying. If they're sleeping, go to sleep. If they're awake, stay awake. Very relevant to living in a dorm. Right? You always have that one guy, you know, they're, they're making so much noise. Well, the Gemara says that you have to stay up also. You have no right to go to sleep. Lo yoshev bena omdim. If everyone's standing, don't sit down. If everyone's sitting, sit down with them. Learn what they're learning. Be part of the crowd. Klolo shel davar. Here's the guiding principle. Al yishona odem minagabrios. Don't do something different than what everyone else is doing. When in Rome, do as the Romans. That's the Gemara. So again, if I'm supposed to blend in, where does that leave me room to be me, to express myself? Today for Shabbos lunch, we're going to serve the trollant before the gefilte fish. <laughs> right? How much can I play with over here? Everything's set in stone. Even the way I dress, the Orcha Sadikim tells us, this goes back to the, the 1400s, that Yilbush begadim beninim, I should dress in clothing that's not fancy or attracting other people's attention. I shouldn't dress in something that, that brings me down, that's disrespectful. 
Just get your run-of-the-mill, nice, average clothing. Just be part of the crowd. Don't be noticed. The Mishnah and Perkyovos along these lines seems to tell us that besides blending in and being part of the crowd, we should care about what people think. We should want to make people like us, which is potentially a very dangerous thing to have in mind, trying to please people. But the Mishnah says, how do you know if Hashem's happy with you? How do you know if Hashem really likes me a lot? If people like you, and people want to be around you, then that's a clear indication that Hashem is happy with what you're doing. If people are not happy with me, and they have tainas and they have complaints against me, then then likely Hashem is not that happy as well. So blend in, do what everyone else is doing, and try to make sure people like you, and that way I know Hashem likes me. Yet, if you look around the world, there are so many messages that are really pushing us in a very different direction. WikiHow, WikiHow to express your individuality. Individuality is how one expresses him or herself. Once you learn how to be yourself, let others know. This is the, the world at large. And here are a couple of examples of how to express individuality. A. Show what you love and what you're good at. This will make you shine and not like any other person. B. Mirror, mirror on the wall. You are great just as you are. Here's a classic one. Never heard this one before. Be true to yourself. Mold your life around what you like. Make your clothes as individual as you. Say what you feel and be honest. So these are different examples how to express individuality. It sounds like a recipe for narcissism. That's what it sounds like. But this is, this is what we're being taught. You have to stand out. Show people who you are. Let people understand that you're different, that you're great, and you're, and you're fine just the way you are. No need to change. Be true to yourself. And David Brooks, who's a well-known writer for the New York Times, I remember reading an article where he said that in the 1950s, there is a Gallup poll taken from high school kids asking them a vague question. Do you think you're very important? 12% of high school children in the 1950s said, yeah. The vast majority assumed, no, I'm just doing my thing, I'm running the mill. They asked the same exact question in 2005, 80% of the children answered, yes, we are very important people. So a lot has changed, and there's probably a lot of good behind that as well. We're not suppressing them, we're not talking down to them, we're, we're, we're giving them something to, to dream of and to look forward to, but it, but it is a commentary on what we're holding as a society. However, we do find that individuality is also a value in Torah, not just coming from the secular world. There's a famous piece from the Vilna Go in his commentary on Mishle, where he says, Ki adam v'adam yesh lo derech bifne atzmo, that every human being 
has their own derech, their own path. And they have to go on that path. Ki ein daitam doma I don't think like you. My brain chemistry is not like you. My, my upbringing is not like you. I don't look like you physically, and we're different emotionally and intellectually and spiritually. You will never find two people with the exact same personalities. So if that's true, for us to assume that we all should be walking and talking and doing the exact same things, that doesn't sound reasonable. If I have my derech and you have your derech and part of life is trying to figure out what it is, so likely that's probably expressed in different ways. And we're not going to be doing the exact same thing. The Sharei Tshuva, the Rebbe Yonah, tells us going back to the 1200s that we have to view our life, our mission, as a unique task that Hashem has bestowed upon me. And if I can't fulfill this mission, nobody else can. And as long as I'm still alive, that's the greatest proof that I have more to accomplish. I have what to accomplish that no one else in the world could possibly do. I have a unique mission. The mission in Idios tells us, Akavya ben Halalo said, Mutav lili karishota koyamai. There was interesting back and forth where he had four rulings that were in conflict with the majority of the rabbis. And they told him, retract your statements and we'll make you the Av Beistin. We'll make you the head of the Beistin. Just take back what you said. <laughs> it's almost Lahavdil, reminiscent of Socrates. Right? They gave him the choice. You could take back all of your heresy and your crazy philosophies and how you were denying the gods, or drink the hemlock. Right? We said Jewish historians say it was actually Kreplach. Kreplach was what killed Socrates. But Akavi ben Alalo said, I'd rather people look at me as a fool my entire life rather than be viewed as a Russia, as evil in the eyes of Hashem, even for one moment. <coughs> so everyone might think I'm wrong. Everyone thinks I'm making a mistake. But I don't care. We have a, a, a concept of Ein Ladai and Elamash Ein Avros. I have to go according to what seems right based on my Torah knowledge and based on my experience. I'd rather be right and thought a fool than wrong and be admired. We have this when it comes to the rabbinate. I had a conversation one time, it was an awkward conversation, but after a little bit of a back and forth, the fellow told me, I said, Rabbi Light, I have to be honest with you, sometimes I really don't like you. <laughs> so I said back, I'm sorry to hear that, but Baruch Hashem, that probably means I'm doing my job. If everyone's always liking you, and everyone is always nodding, and everyone's always in agreement, that probably means we're not doing our job. The Gemara Ksuba says, if you have a rabbi that the entire community is, is just, they adore him, everything is fine, everything is positive. Love Mishum the Malitfe. Don't think it's because he's so wonderful. 
It must be because he's not telling them what they're doing wrong. He's not giving criticism. He's not finding the areas that we need chizik in and trying to strengthen us. So of course they like him because he's not saying anything that they don't want to hear. So from these sources we hear something seemingly very different. We all have our own derech, we have our own path. We have our own unique mission. I don't care what you think of me, it's about doing the right thing, I'm not here to please people. And to the contrary, if everybody likes me, that probably means I'm not doing my job. So how does that fit with the other sources? Do what everyone else is doing, just blend in. If other people like me, that means Hashem likes me. So there does seem to be somewhat of a conflict between promoting conformity and at the same time encouraging being an individual. How do we resolve that conflict? So I happen to believe that the only reason why there's a question is because many of us have a flawed understanding of individuality. You go back to WikiHow, how did they define individuality? They said, Individuality is how one expresses him or herself. That's wrong. The, the phrase expressing individuality is an oxymoron. Those two things should not be said in the same sentence. Why do I want to express something to you? Because I, I want to show you something. I want to... I want to show you who I am. Why do I care that you see who I am? Because I care about what you think about me. So one second. An individual means I'm doing what I think is right. I don't care what the masses think about me. I'm not here to please people. I'm here to do the right thing. So in Torah Hashkafa, you will never find a source that says we express individuality. That's an oxymoron. The goal is to be an individual. Be authentic. Be genuine. Be yourself. Be real. But to need to show other people, that means by definition, I'm falling into the same trap that the other guy who wants to conform to the masses is falling into. You look at two kids in a high school, and one kid fits in beautifully, and the dress code is perfect, and he always has his shirt tucked in, and he follows the rules to a T, and you have the other kid who's the polar extreme opposite. And he's never listening, and he always wears the color shirt that you can't wear to school. He always has the wrong color sneakers on, or even if he gets the right shoes, he'll badaf, go out of his way to get the bright orange laces. He's got to stand out. Now you think, okay, th- this kid wants to be like everyone else, and this one's a rebel. The truth is, it's coming from the exact same shorish. It's the exact same source. You both care very much about what people think about you, how your peers view you. Now you want to give off one impression, and he wants to give off a different impression. But that's not individuality. That's wanting to make a statement because I'm confined, I'm restricted, I'm limited. I care so much about your perception of me. The phrase... We have to be true to ourselves. It is not entirely a Torah concept. 
Better said, it's not about being true to ourselves, it's about bringing ourselves closer to truth. I want to be real, I want to be genuine, I want to be authentic, and I want to get as close to truth as possible. To say, be true to yourself, gives off the, the feeling, whatever I am, I'm looking in the mirror, mirror, mirror on the wall, I'm great just as I am. No, you're not. You're a wonderful neshama, but we have a lot to accomplish. Not about making the world somehow bend to your perception. It's I want to bring myself closer to truth. So we do believe in individuality. It's not about expressing it or showing others. It's about just being real. Now once we're real, by definition, we will do things that other people will not do. My Vodas Hashem will look like this and yours will look like that. I think the prime example of that we find in the Parsha as well. We know that before Moshe sends off the Miraglim to scout out the land, he davens for Yoshua and he changes his name. He says, your name will no longer be Hoshea, but now it will be Yoshua. And Rashi explains that Moshe was davening that he shouldn't be harmed by the other spies. Moshe knew through his prophecy that the other spies would have this overwhelming taiva, this bias to come back with a negative report. And he also understood the character of Yoshua. He was very straight. He said what he felt. He didn't play any games. He would let them know that I'm not in agreement with this. If you guys are going to plan to come back and, and give a negative report about Eretz Yisrael, I'm not going to be part of that. Moshe understanding the personality of Yeshua, he said, you need Shmira, you need Hashem to come in and protect you, otherwise they might harm you. They might hurt you for not being part of their scheme. Further on in the story, it says that the Miraglim came in, Vayovo ad Hevron, and Vayovo is the singular, literally, and he came to Hevron. So again, Rashi points out, that it doesn't mean they all came, it was only one person. Who was that one person that came to Hebron? It was Kolev. Why did he want to go to Hebron? He wanted to daven by the Mars Machpela. And his tefillah was, Hashem, please save me from being influenced by the other Miraglim. Don't allow them to convince me to join in their scheme, in their plot. So we have the story starting off with Moshe davening for Yeshua and not davening for Kalev. That itself is problematic. Do you care more about Yeshua? You're not concerned for Kalev? And then the tefillah itself is different. The tefillah that Moshe has for Yeshua is, I don't want him to be hurt from the other Miraglim. Yet, Kalev, who davens, he says, Hashem, protect me not from being hurt, not from being assaulted by the other Miraglim, but from being influenced. So why are there two different tefillos here? And then at the end of the story, Hashem says, Va'avdi kolev, my servant kolev, ekav ruach because he had a different spirit within him, and he followed my instructions, he'll live to enter the land of Eretz Yisrael. Why is Hashem only speaking about kolev? He had a Ruach HaCheres, he had a different spirit. Yeshua also had a Ruach HaCheres. So Rashi comments here, Ruach HaCheres means that 
he was able to portray something that wasn't true. Echad bepeb, echad belev. He gave off the impression to the other Miraglim that he was on their team, that he would work together with them. And only once they got back and they started giving over the report, he comes in a surprise attack and he starts arguing with them. That was the, the strategy of Kalev. But question number one is, why does Moshe only daven for Yeshua? Question number two is, why is the tefillah for Yeshua different than the tefillah that Kalev davens for himself? One is not to be harmed, one is not to be influenced. And question number three is, why is only Kalev described as Ruach HaCheres, of having a different spirit? And Yeshua doesn't have that title. So the Chafetz Chaim says an amazing thing. The Chafetz Chaim writes that Yeshua and Kalev had very different personalities. Like we mentioned, Yeshua was very straightforward. What you see is what you get. And as soon as he was on to the fact that the Miraglim were going to come back with, with Lashon Hara, he was outspoken against them. So there was no way he was going to get influenced by their plan, but he might be harmed by them, because they knew he wasn't on their team. That's why Moshe Davin, please protect Yeshua. Kolev, on the other hand, had a whole different approach. He wanted to pretend that he was with them, didn't say anything, he kept his mouth shut the entire time. Only once they got back, then Kalev surprised them, and he started arguing with them and trying to defend Eretz Yisrael and trying to convince Klal Yisrael that we have to enter the land, Hashem is with us. So they had very different personalities, they had a very different approach how to deal with the other Miraglim, and therefore they needed different things. Yeshua needed protection from them, and Kolev, who was Ruach HaCheres, he was able to play that game, to have that duality, he needed protection not to be influenced. Who was right? Very different ways of going about this. Was Yeshua correct, or was Kolev correct? Says the Chafetz Chaim, an amazing idea. They were both right. Yeshua was right because he was going with his personality. That's who he was. Kolev was right because he was going with his personality. So if you're real and you're an individual and you're unique, that will come out and you'll be doing different things than I will and we're both doing the right thing. But it's not about impressing people. It's not about expressing our individuality. It's about being me in the realest way possible. How do we understand that Mishnah that says, if people like me, then Hashem likes me? Which almost seems to give off the, the message, you want to please people? So the Urcha Sadiqim says, most people totally misunderstand that Mishnah. They think that if I get more people on my side to admire me and look up to me, then Hashem likes me. Says the Urcha Sadiqim, that's the Yetzirah speaking. What the Mishnah actually means is the exact opposite. What's the greatest indication that Hashem is pleased with you and your accomplishments? If you do what you think is right, regardless of trying to win people over, and people still feel a fondness for you, there's a chain, there's an attraction, that they, they like being around you, they want to be your friend, they enjoy being with you, that's what the Mishnah is saying. That's the greatest indication that you're obviously doing the right thing. It's not about going out and trying to convince people to like me. It's if they like me, even though I'm not trying to get them to, to admire me, that's an indication Hashem is with you. 
So let's get a little bit practical here. What does this all mean? On one hand, we believe in conformity. On the other hand, we believe in being an individual. I think some examples of being an individual in the Vodas Hashem are when we use our unique qualities, our unique personality, to somehow uplift others. Chesed is a good example. I'm not going to name anybody here in the room, but we have a few people here in the room that devote their entire life to helping people with addiction, who are suffering, their families are suffering, and it's not just the parnasa. I'm not doing it just to make a living, but I have a tachuna, I have a personality, I have training, but it's more than the fact that I went to school, it's part of who I am, I could help these people. I have that ability, I have the desire to do so. If I could utilize me to do something, that's individuality. A great story of chesed. There was a, she, she used to live in Dallas, a, a Balash Chuva. She moved to Eretz Yisrael to find the shidduch, and eventually, Bar Hashem, she found someone, and the, uh, the wedding was set. The, the, the kala herself, on the day of the chuppah, she's thinking, what should I be doing today? On one hand, there are so many things to take care of, and there's the makeup, and obviously making sure everything is set up. And in this particular situation, her parents were not organizing everything for her. A lot was really her own responsibility. She was in her 30s at this point, and this is, this is her thing. So she spends the first half of the day taking care of business, making sure everything's set up for the wedding. Then in the early afternoon, she goes to Sharei Tzedek. She goes to the hospital. And she's in full kala gown from head to toe. She walks up to pediatric ER and she speaks to the people at the front desk and she says, I'd like to, to see some of the children. And the first question was, are you related? Are you a sister or an aunt or a friend of one of the kids here? And she said, no. But I just figured it's my, my wedding day and I could give blessings. And it's also very exciting for kids to see, for little girls to see a kala. It might bring some simcha to them. So the people working there never heard of this before. But they said, sure, come on in. And she went around to a few different rooms just to bring a smile to these children's faces. That's just utilizing the moment or utilizing your personality to do something special. Now, most people in the world probably wouldn't or even couldn't do that. I'm so stressed out, there's too much in my mind, the idea of going to the hospital a few hours before my wedding, I would never do that. But if you can, then you should. When it comes to Bale Tshuva in general, this is a constant struggle. Because you'll have young men and women who are brought up in a less religious family, a more secular lifestyle. And then if it's in college or later on in life as young professionals, they start getting into Judaism. And on some level, there's a gavura. There's a strength of character that's needed. I'm, I'm fighting against everything that I was brought up with. Hopefully it's not a fight. Hopefully there could be shalom between the child and the parents. But it takes strength of character 
to begin to embrace a life that's very different than my childhood. However, once a person becomes more religious, sometimes what happens is we now have a hard time totally accepting Torah values or, or halacha because now everything is detailed, everything is outlined, everything is legislated. And that takes a while to get used to. The breakthrough in the, in the journey of a Baal Tshuva or a Baalash Tshuva is when they get to the point where I know there's so much more to making the right decision than just what feels right to me. I know there might be halacha or hashkafa that I'm not aware of, and I want to seek advice. And sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll hear things that don't resonate with me, but I'll try to follow those instructions because there's more to it than what feels right to me. And that's an amazing milestone. That's an accomplishment. But sometimes you take it too far. And sometimes the journey of the Baal Tshuva could be, now it's all about trying to look as much like them as possible. Trying to fit it into the point where my greatest glory would be if one day someone looks at me and says, <laughs> I didn't realize you were a Baal Tshuva. I didn't realize you weren't always religious. Yes, I've made it. So what happens is it's hard to accept some of the dictates, some of the mandates of Judaism. Once we do, that's an accomplishment, but then sometimes we begin to lose the individual. And that's a very scary and dangerous thing. So this balance between conformity and individualism, I think is especially in the forefront of the journey of the Baal Tshuva, to never lose who I am, never lose my personality. I'm here to enhance my personality, to grow, to become closer to Hashem, but not to give up who I am. There's an amazing letter of the Chazanish, where he was responding to someone who was actually attacking one of his rulings. And he said, I want you to know, Iker Aliyah B'Torah, the main growth in Torah, das is to try to understand an opinion that's the exact opposite of your own. Don't just disregard it, don't just ignore it, but you try to work on it. This is something that's totally lost from Western civilization. If it doesn't sound right at first, if it doesn't feel right, if it doesn't resonate, forget it. I can't go with that, I can't believe that, I can't do that. That's not what I thought. If we live our whole life being that much of an individual that I can't work on something that might be above and beyond me, then I'm never transforming my mind to come closer to the mind of the Torah. So it's all part of that balance. Conformity could be beautiful. Individualism is also beautiful. We're not here to express it. I don't have to show you who I am. I just have to be who I am. But being who I am doesn't mean that I can't listen to something that doesn't fit with my worldview. To the contrary, if it's coming from a source that's authentic, it's coming from the Torah, it's coming from someone greater than myself, let me consider it, let me pace on it, let me rack my brain trying to understand it, and I'll ask questions. But that sometimes by denying your own individual perception of something, that could lead to the greatest growth in Torah. When it comes to school uniforms, this has always been a, a big debate. 
in the world, in private schools. And I once spoke to, I didn't take an official poll, but I spoke to many girls and many boys about if they would prefer school with a uniform or without a uniform. And the boys, by and large, they didn't really care either way, <laughs> whatever. The girls, though, most of them told me they'd rather not have a uniform. However, those same girls, once you would ask a little bit deeper, and some of the things that come up, and the competition, and the jealousy, and once they become teenagers, it could theoretically take a half an hour just to pick out what I want to wear today. They wouldn't vote for it, but they all admit that there is a myla, there is a, there is a benefit of having uniform. There's no competition in that sense. We have other things to fight about and, and complain about, but you don't have the issue of dress. I think from a Torah hashkafa, not to get into what's the right thing, should a school have a uniform or not, but there's a lot to be said for having a uniform. Let's all look the same. How about individualism? How about expressing individuality? If a person feels that I have to express my individuality through dressing in a certain way, that's really cheapening who I am as an individual. The greatest example of this we had in the end of Parshas Naso. The Nesim, right? The tribal leaders were all bringing their gifts for the inauguration of the Mishkan. And the Torah goes through many, many psukim telling us they all brought the exact same thing. They all brought the exact same thing. Why did they do that? They didn't want to cause any jealousy. There should be no competition. Oh, Yeshavit Yehuda brought this much and they had this much value and Shimon only had that much. No competition. Let's all bring the exact same thing. Conformity. However, the Medrash says, and the Ramban quotes this, every Nasi, every tribal leader, as he was bringing his gifts for the Mishkan, he had a different machshava, he had a different thought in mind. It's the same exact golden spoon that the next 11 people are going to be bringing, but to me this has a special association based on my shevet, our history, our destiny, my role within Kalal Yisrael. Everyone looked at all of these objects, these material things, with a different perception based on who they were and what resonated with them. I think that's the paradigm of bridging the gap between conformity and individuality. We can all look like we're doing the same thing, and sometimes we're better off that way. We get rid of the jealousy and the competition. We don't have to be outdoing each other. The real me shines forth, though, based on what's in my mind. How am I relating to this? What's my personality? Even if no one from the outside sees me doing or looking any different than you, individuality is, but I'm being real, I'm being me. In tefillah, you have another example. We all have the exact same text. It's the exact same nusach that was created by the men of the Great Assembly, 350 BCE. So how do you, how do you have your own individual tefillah? You take the exact same words that every other person is saying and you infuse your own meaning into them. You make them personal. Revolba has a beautiful piece where he says, if we can't make the words of tefillah personal, we're missing out on the main intent of the tefillah. I've, I've told the story before 
But just one example that, that hit me in a very powerful way is that we say in the, the Berchas HaChodesh, the benching before Rosh Chodesh, we ask Hashem to bless us with all of these different things, a month of, 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 of Chayim and, and Parnosa and, and Yira Shemayim, and we say the Chilutz Atzamos, which usually is translated as, you should give us the bracha, the strengthening of the bones, which means to be healthy, to be vibrant, to be energetic. So that's something you say pretty quickly, and I've said it for many, many years, never really relating to that one as much as every other phrase. And then the month before my son was having his bone marrow transplant, and I said the bracha of chilutz atzamos, I paused for a moment. Hashem, please, strengthen the bones. There are so many opportunities within the tefillah within the Avodas Hashem that everyone else does without having to get fancy and Kabbalistic and I'm saying more paragraphs than you are, we could all do good old-fashioned Judaism, but we could make it real individualized based on my machshava, the heart and the mind that I'm pouring into it. Kal Yisrael is like an orchestra. We're all playing instruments together and the goal is we have to be playing the same song. That's the achtus, the unity of Klal Yisrael. We're looking at the same music. If we're all playing different songs, then it's not going to sound that well, that good. However, we're playing different instruments and we have different jobs. You could be harmony, you could be melody, you could be percussion. It's all about finding out what my instrument is. I want to be part of the beauty of conformity. I want to be part of the achtus of Klal Yisrael. I don't need to stand out. I don't need to express my individuality but I need to be an individual. I have to play my song the way that Hashem intended it to be. A good Shabbos.